Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is Vish from Buckets, Six Rings Canes, Five Reasons Sports, several names. Um... Just uh, back in D.C. now, kind of wrapping up a whirlwind two days at ACC tip-off. Yesterday, I kind of talked about the first day, the women. I uh, talked to Julia Williams um, and, and Jasmine Roberts, so definitely check that out on the podcast feed. Also on the podcast feed are uh, my conversations with uh, Nigel and Norchad, and then the questions I asked Coach Al and Nigel and Norchad at the formal press conference, which there's also video of. All of that's in this podcast feed. We got Eric McLean in this podcast feed, at MacLean, in this podcast feed as well. Jazz and I interviewed him yesterday. And on Monday, we did a, a Clemson uh, recap and a Virginia preview with this upcoming football game, all in the podcast feed, all available for audio, something for you to listen on your commute. Um, so for this, I am going to wrap up kind of the, uh I said, a whirlwind two days in Charlotte. Um there's kind of two sections of, of this, this what you're listening to now. Um, the first is going to be just me talking. The ACC does a commissioner's statement and, and Q&A. Um, really interesting comments about expansion, kind of future of the conference. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Stuff about scheduling um, and also about the potential contraction of the tournament. Um, which is, um, you know, something for those of us that remember Miami and the Big East we, we're familiar with um, in terms of not everyone making the tournament. Uh, but, uh, but I'll talk through that. And then this back half will, will be the uh, the time I spent with the Hurricanes today uh, between the press conference and the spillover into the uh, into the breakout rooms, probably about an hour, um, kind of the, talk through the kind of sense I got from the team and, and kind of where where we are with uh, less, than, less than two weeks to the season. Um, so... Let's start with the commissioner. So he, he broke a few pieces of news here. And, and, you know, sometimes you think you maybe missed something and it was, it was, uh, it was not new news. But this, this caused a, a buzz to go around the entire tip-off, which is uh, the, um, the, uh, the commissioner said that, you know, when you get to 18 teams, which is what the conference will be next year, um, that he's not in favor of all of those teams making the ACC tournament, this is for men's and women's, and that, that he would he would cut that down and you'd have to, you know, finish a certain level to make it. Um, I'm not sure what that level is. Right now they do obviously do it with 15 teams. Um, this, so 18 would be essentially three, three more teams and having to work that in. Um, I don't know if they would stay with 15, maybe go to 16 and drop the bottom two out. Now a couple of things here. He was... I think he realized he'd broken news because he immediately said, you know, I'm not breaking news here, which is kind of the first sign that someone accidentally let something slip they probably did not want to let slip. Um, but he said he's been, you know, telling people that behind the scenes, whatever. So um, 
The second thing there, though, is he's not autonomously able to make these choices. And he said, you know, it's up to what our member institutions want. And I would expect some pretty significant pushback on that. Um, and from the member institutions, again, if you basically the way that this would work and, and without knowing the specific number of teams is... You know, the bottom few teams might not make uh, the ACC tournament. That is that is actually currently uh, the case in, in baseball. Um, not all of the teams make the baseball tournament. Um, 12 of the 15 do. Um, for, for, for basketball, I don't think the ACC's ever had a situation where all the teams didn't make it. However, when Miami was in the Big East and it got really bloated towards the end, they were cutting, a t- I believe, one team or maybe two teams that did not make it and Miami actually did not make it one of those years. Um, so we've certainly experienced it. Um, I, it is a lot of basketball, right? And, and is there really a value in, you know, a five or six or seven, you know, overall wins and, and, you know, one to two wins in the conference or whatever, is there value in that team going to a tournament to get slaughtered? Um, I would still say probably yes. Um, I think it's it's a reward for being a major conference basketball player. Like and and you know I, I think I think it's easy to abstractly say look win more games you finish dead last out of eighteen teams like you easily could have avoided this. But then you know when you're at these tip off events and you see all of the players for all the teams because they're all there like there's two players at least for each team the coaches are there and you're thinking about look we're sitting here in in October, they're about to go on this journey of a season, and it's not going to go well for all of them. And to me, you know, having that little that little sliver of hope at the end of the season, when maybe you know in January things have gone completely off the rails, to me is important. And I just, if you look at these kids telling them that like they don't get a postseason opportunity in an ACC tournament because they couldn't squeeze in another game or two, to me that's not. That's not useful. I think it would be fairly easy to maintain pretty much the same format, maybe slight tweaks, and and have the teams start a little bit earlier in the week and 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 have some more playing games, have an extra round for the 17th and 18th and maybe 16th and 15th team or whatever you're going to work it out. It's not that many more games. And, you know, I, again, I think, I think even at this tip-off thing, which is obviously not where games are played, like... This is a reward for the players for hard work. They show up there, um, they you know they kind of the bell of the ball, and it's part of a community. Like the whole ACC was there. You see all of the you see coaches. You know you're you're walking past Armando Baycott. Um, you're seeing John Shire. You're seeing you're seeing all of the coaches and the players there. And it's it is it is a communal feel, even for the teams that may be rebuilding, maybe are not at the top of the conference. They're still part of this overall community. So then to say, you know, we're going to have this thing at the front of the season where we roll it out as this is a great conference and all this, and then at the back end of the season say, oh, but you're not good enough to compete in the back end showcase, to me is not right. Um, and um, that that's my opinion on it. I, I definitely sent, you know, shockwaves through through the, the, the convention there. I think everyone's kind of caught off guard by that. I wasn't sure if he had said this before um, or if he was breaking news, but it pretty clearly the way he immediately said he wasn't breaking news, again, tell, tell Sun you probably are, and to everyone else's reaction, and I think that certainly caught 
people off guard because again you're thinking you have media members i mean i was actually the only shot like i was actually pretty surprised i was the only miami media member there but i was the only one from miami but you pretty much have every school of media there you know they're all thinking like hey what if we're the odd school out and it's just a weird weird thing to do and, and as part of the expansion i can't imagine this was kind of prominently featured um, in terms of, of how they were going to approach it. But again, this would affect potentially the men's and uh, the women's tournaments. A um, couple of other things um, on that on that subject. Um, we will be buckets 7 p.m. Thursday, October 26th. Melissa, Matt, and I, we are going to digest this. We're going to discuss this. We're going to get their takes on it. I've not gotten their opinion on it yet, um, so it'll be interesting to see that. That's live on YouTube and will appear on this podcast feed as well. So much more to come on that tomorrow. Again, it affects men's and women's. The other things that he uh, he did he did kind of address before we get into some of the scheduling nitty gritty is uh, the location of these tournaments. Um, so if you've noticed, the women consistently go to Greensboro, and it, this was news to me. I don't think this was news to everyone else, but apparently that is related to some kind of. Uh, contract with the with the state of North Carolina. The ACC headquarters is now in Charlotte. Um obviously this event was in Charlotte. That is kind of the home base and I think as part of getting some business and tax breaks, they agreed to keep that tournament in Greensboro um for a few for several years and it's now 14 out of the last 15. Yeah. Men's tournament however is not subject to that and uh it is in Washington DC this year, which will be a home Home tournament for me, um, so that'll be cool. After traveling all over, <laughs> watching these teams play, uh, they're coming to me for once. So, uh, so that'll be that'll be an exciting time in March. Um, now, um, pivoting to the overall, though, I mean the topic of the day, and again, that's what triggered the whole, you know, eighteen teams, maybe not all of them make it. Comment is, you know, all the questions were about expansion, like. Were you reactive? You know, what was what was the thought process here? How are you going to work out scheduling? Um, so I, I think in terms of of what the commissioner kept trying to get the message back to was this is a conference on the rise. Um, we only wanted these member institutions. Um, there's a there's a new ad campaign they've rolled out with a new slogan. Um, and he kind of wanted to keep bringing it back to that. Frankly, I don't think those slogans. I mean, we all. SEC just means more. I mean, we all make fun of it, right? So I don't know that, you know, this these slogans really matter, but it was emblazoned everywhere. So they're definitely going to roll it out. So expect to see a lot of um, accomplished greatness emblazoned across everything because that is the new ACC slogan, accomplished greatness. You're going to see that everywhere. He talked about that, how positive that is, how excited they are for it. I mean, to me, that none of that crap matters. So, But what, what he did talk about, which was, I would say more truthful in terms of strength here is he did talk about, you know, it's going to get our schools into two huge markets, Dallas, Fort Worth, and uh, the Bay Area, which is definitely true. So, I mean, I think that's where you can, you know, marry some facts to the spin there and say that that is definitely something that now ACC schools will have access to. He did say because of the, the you know, the timing on the calendar, they are um, prioritizing getting a football schedule out. If you recall the ACC this year, shifted shifted models um to you know with the three uh the three um rivals um that you're gonna play every year 
and then no divisions. Well, that lasted a year because obviously with Cal, Stanford, and SMU coming in, you can't do that. Um, he did pay lip service to we're going to maintain rivalries. Um, I'm assuming for us that's only going to be Florida State because they already killed the Virginia Tech rivalry insanely. Um, and I think he also, I think that just means that North Carolina will get to play whoever they feel they get to play and need to play. Um, that's generally how these things work. So I, I don't think there was any way they were ever, anyone was really realistically worried that there would ever be a scheduling model where Miami and Florida State aren't playing. But, you know, I don't know that I have any confidence that the Virginia Tech rivalry, which is Miami's second biggest football rival, is coming back anytime soon. Um, with that said, he did say they would protect rivalries. The other thing he talked about, and there had been all these, um, you know, these these comments and leaks or whatever about, you know, what led to the to the teams eventually being voted in. And one of them was limiting travel by um, only taking one trip out to the West Coast, you know, for teams. And he did kind of get a little bit more specific about that and talked about, you know, you'd fly out, maybe play Cal on a Wednesday or Thursday and Stanford on the Saturday and then fly home. Um, Which... Makes sense, I guess, versus going back and forth. Um, the other thing, though, is he did. <laughs> he talked about pairing schools up. So I guess one way they're going to cut uh, travel expenses is to um, is to um, have schools pair up and travel together. And he, he called out... Two examples, Duke and North Carolina, of course, because that's where their head is. But he started with Miami and Florida State. So essentially, Miami and Florida State would travel out to the Bay Area together. Keep in mind, we're talking in a basketball context, right? They would travel out to the Bay Area together. One would play at Cal while the other one's playing at Stanford on a midweek, and they switch and play in the reverse order, and then they fly back together. Now, Duke and North Carolina and North Carolina State, for that matter, all use the same airport. They fly out of Raleigh-Durham. Um, Miami and Florida State are nowhere near each other. Now, I don't know if that was a slip on his part, because I don't even know how you travel those two schools together, but I guess we'll see more of the scheduling, uh, you know, when, when the schedule comes again. Football will come out first, which will certainly be interesting, but basketball is probably the more challenging with all the midweek games. But, yeah, that was kind of a... It was weird that he included Miami and Florida State in there when, you know... These are you got these are not schools that are anywhere near each other. They they're geographically in the same state, and that's about it. Um, the other thing, though, I will say is you know they're making a big deal of the travel, and and it is somewhat of a burden. But I mean, I, I guess because we're in Miami and we're we're located, we're not near any of the other schools. Period. So you know, Florida State's the nearest school. It's not like we drive over there. I think these some of these. Uh, blue-butted ACC schools are are used to, um, you know, this the, uh, you know, being able to nine miles between Duke and North Carolina. Like, we're not used to that anyway. And we start talking about traveling and, you know, we got to combine travels and do all this to get out to the California. It's, what, five, six hours from Miami by plane? I mean, how, how long do you think it takes us to get to Syracuse, New York, three and a half, four hours? We're not talking about that big of a difference. But I think for some of these other schools that are centrally located... Like, I don't know what the longest flight Duke or Carolina takes. It's probably two, two and a half hours, maybe. So now for them, it's double. For us, we got to fly everywhere, and it's always a long trip. So 
I think for us it's probably less of an adjustment there, but we'll, we'll again, we'll, uh, we'll see when those schedules come up. But that whole concept of combining teams to save money, I mean, does, do Duke and North Carolina really want to share a plane anyway? Like, I, mean, I, I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, useful. Um, the, the idea of uh, combining, you know, you go out there, you play two games makes more sense, but I don't know about pairing schools up that are geographically somewhat near each other, and Miami and Florida State really aren't even that anyway. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense on a basketball context, maybe in some of the non-revenue sports, but again, you'd still need to be near each other, and Miami's just not near anything. Um, so yeah, more to come on the scheduling, obviously, from the ACC. I'm really interested to see what they do with the football as well. Uh, he said we should see that soon, without any really timeline commitment. Um, and then overall, they, they talked about, this is kind of interesting, right? Um, and, and one of the things he said that did resonate with me is he did talk about the, the, the way that expansion is reported as money and you have to make more money than everyone else or you're failing. And I do think there is that mentality with some of the schools, right? And the in particular ones that want to, that want to leave but can't afford to come out of the contract and the grant of rights. Um, but there is something to be said for this is still a crap load of money. The ACC is the third by far most lucrative TV contract, and I think he's kind of like his stance was, "Hey, we added three really good academic schools, um, and we're gonna you know." That matters too. They fit our identity. We have a strong brand identity, and I think you, I think you, I think that is actually accurate. I would say the two schools that kind of stick out as not really fitting the ACC would be Clemson and Florida State. I think every like they used to lift those two schools in the SEC culturally, and they kind of fit. The rest of these schools, even the ones added in in in, in the Bay Area, SMU is as again another private school. Like there's, there does feel like there is some symmetry there and I think that's that was kind of his sales point here is like no we're not going to have SEC or Big 12 Big 10 money but who cares like we're still going to have a ton of money we have a strong brand and he did talk about you know we've been a regional conference and now we're a national one now we'll see how all this plays out um someone did ask him you know last time they expanded the mega conferences those broke apart now they're reconsolidating, and and he did kind of say, yeah, we learned lessons from that. We'll see. He's like, he said, we th- he thinks they're at a good number of eighteen that matches the Big Ten, smaller than uh, it's and bigger than the SEC, and he thinks that's probably the right number. Now, we'll see. Again, we'll see how how long this holds together. The grant of rights, though, as he pointed out correctly, like you know, Oklahoma and Texas said they were leaving several years ago, and have I'm only leaving after this year because of the strength of those contracts. So. You know, as much as the the some schools in the ACC might have in hot, there doesn't appear to be at least up to this point anyone able to find a loophole to get out of the contracts. Um, but again, that was a big point of it. And then, I mean, the last thing was a kind of a weird question. The last one he got, which was, someone asked him if it was a bug or a feature that the three schools they added aren't good at football. And I just, I mean, and and he answered it okay because he was like, you know, tr- traditionally they have been. Now SMU might be a, a bit back, but I mean these teams are not. I'm I'm really curious what that question, what he was even getting at there, because um, um, you know these are these are probably you slot them in the middle of the ACC, 
So I they're not they're not these are not terrible football programs. They're they're solid. So it was kind of a bizarre thing that he kind of had to navigate around there. But overall, I, th- I would say that obviously the news of the day is the the potential to not have all the teams at the ACC tournament, which again, I would expect significant pushback from members on like I, and because and I think you know at this juncture, if you look at who's who's likely to miss, you could see someone like a Wake Forest, you know, missing the ACC tournament. They're a blue blood in that conference, even though they haven't been good in a while. And, like, are they, do they, I mean, I think stuff like that, like having an ACC tournament and Wake Forest isn't there, it's going to be problematic for a conference that prides itself on tradition. So so we'll see what we'll see what happens with that, but that was definitely the news of the morning um, in terms of... In, in terms of what um in terms of where this is going schedule wise and, and potentially how the tournament plays out they have not figured out a format yet which was apparent because he's talking about potentially even cutting teams out of the tournament um but yeah so I think the first thing we'll probably see is the football schedule <laughs> not sure exactly when that'll happen he said soon they're working on it it's gone through so many rounds of negotiations he said which you can Im- you can imagine the complexity of that but but it's also because they take special requests. I'm sure there's some, you know, we're not playing this team here. This isn't happening or whatever. Because it's not difficult to um, have a computer build out scheduling models. You put in constraints like Miami has to play Florida State. You put in constraints like you can't play more than two road games in a row. Although that's clearly, you know, not necessarily one that you would hold to. You know, you can do things like that to make sure the schedules don't get unbalanced in terms of, you know, playing all of your home games in a row and then all your road games are something ridiculous that you never accept. You'll load all that in the system, you hit a button, it'll crunch it for you. So it's not that complicated, but um, that that's how they do all schedule when they put in restrictions like, hey, the venue isn't used this day, so you can't play there. I mean, it's not that big of a problem, but again, I think they're kind of navigating through everyone's desires. I don't want to play this team here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And they're trying to probably accommodate a lot of that, which is, which is making it more complicated. But that's kind of a summary of, of the commissioner's statement. It, it you know it was, it was early this morning. It kicked off the day's events with the men's hoops. Um, so he did, he did break some news there. But we'll uh, we'll see if they follow through on the on the threat to not have all eighteen teams there again. It would have to be agreed to by the the schools, which I still feel is a stretch. Um, and we'll we'll see if uh, we'll, we'll we'll see the football schedule when it comes out. I mean, again, I think from from a Miami standpoint. We're likely to only see the Florida State rivalry there, and not, not any of the other ones. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if we still maintain this Louisville thing, given that they created a, a Schnellenberger uh, trophy for it. Um, we'll see if that game even still happens after the season. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And with that said, let me pivot here. This is the point where we will pivot and... uh and talk a little bit about the, the the Kings men's hoops team, um, the pride of Coral Gables here, um, in addition to the women's team, um, who uh, yesterday, I, I kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, it was the women's day 
to shine, and unfortunately, ours got an early wake-up call because it was in 8 a.m., uh, breakout session, and then 15-minute press conference is 8.45, that the, the non-TV, non-radio row availability was done. So I did I did hang out with Coach Myers again. If you're familiar with the show, you know, she's friendly with our show and with us, so we hung out, um, you know, in the break room because we were the only ones there in the breakout room with uh, Julia and Jasmine as well, and, and that was kind of that day. This day was a little bit different. Um, it was much uh, more well-attended. I will say, though, at the overall press conference, which, again, on this feed, you get the audio and the video. I asked several questions. I, I am on the video. Um, you'll see that there. Um, and I was the only Miami media member there. But then the breakouts, there were more people asking questions. I was a little bit, little bit more well-attended. But, you know, obviously, Duke had a pretty decent, you know, media following. And North Carolina was... The ballroom filled up. It was the only time I saw that the whole week, two days, and the breakout rooms were was packed for theirs to the point that like the Canes breakout actually started late. We didn't get the full half hour with them because North Carolina just ran long, and you know I was hanging out in the corridor with, with uh with uh with Megan Barnes, who's the assistant AD, charge of both men and women's hoops now. Norge had Coach L, Nigel, and everyone just standing there, and he's like. Yeah, waiting for North Carolina to finish. Um, so, did cannibalize a little bit of the time. but still had a good chat with them, and that's lower in the broadcast feed. But what I want to talk about now is, you know, expectations and some of the dissecting some of what Coach L and, and the players said in their press conferences. So, um, I did ask Norchad about expectations this year after, you know, having a big, big year last year. And, and it, it is kind of like they're just saying, we're going to work hard day one. And, you know, not nothing is 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 given right it takes a lot of work to get there and to get back so it's kind of an interesting thing that to uh, you can clearly tell coach i was reinforcing that um you know what you did last year buys you nothing now so you gotta kind of start over um and it and so i think they are taking that mentality in there um set both players and coach l mentioned wooga by name as someone they expect them a big year we've been hearing that all off season but it, it was mentioned again um the other thing, this is actually an answer to my question. I asked Coach to talk through, um, you know, the evolution of his style of play from when he came from Miami, came to Miami, to where he is now. And he did. He he talked through. He said we fit the, the scheme to our players, and he talked through so many of the the canes that I played under him. But interestingly enough, this team, he pointed right to Norchad and said, last year and this year, Norchad is the reason we're playing this way. And we're playing a style. Because when you have someone like that, you put the pieces around him. You don't make him adjust. And that that is really a interesting thing. Because I, I, think, I think we view small ball as having started two years ago with Sam Warnberg, who we talked about as you know not, not being a, a low post player, kind of being more of a perimeter, almost like a guard in a 6'10 body, while Norchad is, is definitely an around-the-rim guy. Um we kind of think that this current style started with him, but he said no. We, they switched it when Norchad was here. He's like, you got to switch what you're doing because it doesn't. You, you don't want to force Norchad to adjust to you. You want everyone else to to make Norchad the best player he can be. Um, it's a little bit of a twist on kind of our conventional wisdom in terms of what you know where the small ball came from and how it's sustained now. And I do wonder if we're going to see another shift in. Uh, in style a little bit, not away from small ball, obviously, because we don't have a choice with the uh, current makeup of the team. 
but maybe a little bit of a shift towards um towards um you know seeing how the other pieces fit again with Matthew Cleveland now probably starting at the four it's a very different team and with Bensley potentially at, at the one slash two it is a very different team than from the previous years the other thing uh coach I talked about was how much of Norchad's game has has improved over the summer including his uh ball handling which I already thought he was pretty good at and his three-point shooting which I think you know he he did the draft evaluation and I'm assuming he got feedback back on his shooting because it just and, and uh, my co-host Matt talks about this quite a bit. It's not just that. It, it, he actually has a good stroke. He has a natural shooting motion. It's just that he's slow to get it up. Um, and, and, you know, you can't do that in, in, at this level. you got to get your shots up. So I think that could potentially, you know, be where the adjustment was made. We'll see. I asked him also, has he been working? Because <laughs> I told him, I mean, and I've, I've talked about this on our show as well, that I, I've watched him drain threes and warm up so I asked him about that and he he said yeah you know he might add that he might he might see more of that and he said he's hard to shoot more of them towards the end of the last year so be interesting if you can get shooting out of that position how much that opens up the rest of the floor and then again with Cleveland at the four in that quickness you know you could really see something happen big time there um um that that was kind of an interesting point Nigel talking about you know even being even more of a leader, not giving, caring about his game, wanting, um, wanting to make sure that everyone else succeeds and then the team will succeed. Also talked about how hungry making the final four made him, you know, for this year to to take those next steps. So it it looks like a focused, locked in team, um, and I think that is that's why you know we're. Uh, we're uh, we're excited about them. I, I think there's a maturity about about this team, given the expectations around it, and and you know to a, to a man, they were, it's not our expectations it's outside the building. Everyone expects us to just go win everything. We know we have to work for it. It's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, problem. Success can be a problem as well. Um, you know, North Carolina was was in there on the session before the Canes and opposite problem they you know a lot of jokes about how old armando baycott is and how long he's been in north carolina but he and rj davis were there and those were kind of the only returning players that there. there's nine new players it's almost it's a bit of a reboot um off of a team that last year came in ranked number one in the country and, and failed and you know they talked about hubert davis talked about you know we, we reinforcing that you have to do the work to get back to where you were and we didn't do that last year. And, and you know, I, I'd be shocked if we see that from these Canes. They look really locked in. And, you know, North Carolina is the cautionary tale of playing in the finals, being ranked high and blowing it the next year. And, and I just don't see that out of the Canes. I think Coach L's too good of a coach. And these players, especially Norchad and Nigel, they came back for their senior year. They obviously both tested the professional waters and chose not to go. But the the flip side to that is, you know, we all think about, like, well, where would they fit in the NBA? You can make a lot of money playing high-level basketball in Europe, and both of them are certainly capable of that. So it's not as simple as that. I think they did come back with the idea, hey, we can we, we can, we can finish the job here. We need two more wins this year. And, and that's kind of the attitude. There's a confidence there, but there's also a humility uh, with, all, with all of them. And, and Norchad, when I asked about rebounds, saying, you know, 
he's been good to rebounding. Rebounding's been good to him. I think these are these are these are some some players that enjoy playing with each other. Um, and really, I think Norchad and Nigel. It's kind of interesting because last year it was always Zay. It was always Jordan Miller. As these are the guys that are leading this program forward. And I think both of Norchad and Nigel kind of stepped up and said, "Well, now it's our responsibility." And you know what? They're rising to that occasion. I think they're excited for that opportunity, and it gives that it gives me confidence that this is going to be another big year for Miami basketball. And you know, and and I think we'll, we'll see the media polls come out. I, we talked about this on buckets, um, so not every media member gets to vote. And needless to say, your boy here is not on the blue ribbon panel was what they called it to uh choose the all ACC teams. I guess uh I guess they don't want people like me going in there and voting for Miami players and given that there was no Miami media there but me our boys might get a little shortchanged here as well as our ladies cuz uh this is a similar thing um there as well. So we'll see when those teams come out, but I I I, I think I, I get the general sense that the players know what needs to happen for them to take the next step, and frankly, there's only one step left to take at this point, which is to win the championship. Um, and I think they want to do that, and I think you can see Norchad. This is part of his answer he gave to me in Spanish, but you know, we made history, and he's he's excited for the next couple's coming season. To me, that is, we made history, but we're going to take it a step further, and I think they're locked in on that. But not looking to skip steps and making sure they put the work in. I, I, I know. Um, you know there are other very good teams in the ACC. Obviously, Duke is the, is the favorite. But I, I think that, I think I think this team is once again being overlooked. Um, and you get the sense too, just from from the media themselves. Like there should be. I get it. There's North Carolina media, um, and um, and they're going to you know care about North Carolina and and they did and they flooded that but you know the ACC champs in there and I will but I will also say that you know I went to the Virginia session there was a guy from the Washington Post there was a guy from a Richmond Times Dispatch who knew each other I think that cover all the Virginia stuff they um they were kind of the only ones really there for the Virginia one as well so I think it's really uniquely North Carolina that brings numbers but you know the defending ACC regular season champs the final four participants, kind of afterthought at this at this event. Um, even, you know, she's a college reporter, so leeway and all that. But this reporter for the Daily Tar Heel, you know, asked asked Norchad a question about Armando Baycott, which is normal. There was a guy there too asking a question about like Filipowski, and then asked a follow up about Filipowski, and like as if that's all Norchad wants to talk about. But he got home cooking for me when I talked to him in Spanish. But um. And and he talked about how he defends Norchad. He's like it, Nor- defends Baycott. He's like prevent him from getting the ball. And the response is, well, that's easier said than done. And you know, Norchad responded, back, well, I've had success defending him, which is a true statement. So I think you know these. This is this is a team that I think is still going to have that chip on their shoulder and feel like they're being overlooked. I think you know if Wilga takes the leap that everyone seems to say he has taken, I mean, this team could really really like even be a level better than last year you recall last year um we were good all year but there were some blips there was some lack of consistency there were some close wins there were some uh you know struggles against teams you probably shouldn't struggle against even in wins and obviously getting housed by maryland early in the year two wasn't great um you know there was that tight game um 
against uh, against Virginia, Virginia Tech. Like these are not these are not necessarily or Virginia. I believe blew the Canes out. Um, so these are not. I might be mixing my ears up, but um, these are not. You know, these are not things that I expect to see. I think there is going to be a step forward despite losing Zay and Jordan Miller, just because the confidence is there, the maturity is there, and I think Norchad and Nigel are ready to be leaders and ready to, to carry the program to the next level. I think that's why they came back to school. Um, for Coach L's part, um, you know, he says this every year. He's like, I, I, I expect to win the championship. And so, but I think I think this this is a team that, that that's close-knit and, 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 you know, there are some new faces. There's some old faces. And Norchad really talked a lot about, you know, someone like Ja'Kai, who we've talked a lot about on Buckets, what's his role. He was actually talking about how much better he is. So we might, and Keyshawn, he talked up pretty, pretty heavily. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of depth here and I think, I think they're going to still, you know, you shouldn't be able to make an elite eight win the ACC regular season, make a final four and still surprise people. I think they're still going to surprise people. Um, and, um, cause I still think they're underrated and, you know, we're going to hear all these excuses about why they're actually not good as they're winning games once again. And, and frankly, the players don't care, and neither should we. Um, but that that was kind of my takeaway from, from the Canes um, session there. Um, that that this is just a, it's a quietly confident group of players that knows what they need to do to take the next step. They put the work in in the offseason, and they're going to toss the ball up in a week and a half, and they expect to, to you know, win a lot more than they lose. Um, but anyway, after, after I attended those sessions, I, I came back to DC, um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of digesting the two days as a little wrap up here. It is a whirlwind. It is, it's kind of an odd event to attend because it's actually not nearly as well attended as you'd expect. Like there's maybe one or two media people for each, each, um, each school, if that, like from, if I guess from Miami, it was just me. Um, and you know, you see, and you're, but then this is a conference with so many superstars. So you're like walking past Armando Baycott and John Shire and Filipowski and obviously recognize them. And there's, there's, you know, ACC media is there. So you get, you know, the Kelsey Riggs and, um, Seth Greenberg and our boy Perry Clark was there. So you're kind of walking past all these, you know, sports celebrities, essentially. And, yeah, and then the events themselves aren't that heavily attended. So you do get a lot of good access to to people. There's a radio row where people are doing interviews. And it's it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic there that, that um, you know, it's an interesting event to attend. Um, I wish the women didn't have to go at 8 a.m. Because I feel like they would have had a little bit more attention there also. Uh, completely overlooked they are a ranked team um that made the elite eight so i think there's you know i think both these programs probably you know this this is collectively if you're talking about men's and women's probably you know certainly collective across the men's and women's programs right now the best team in the acc and i would say second best in the country probably behind connecticut at this point um even though our women were better than connecticut last year you know, on balance, I'd probably you'd put Connecticut in front, but um, it is just, yeah, and it's it's kind of under they're underrepresented there. So I was glad I at least went, <laughs> but um, it's it's it is a it's a whirlwind of two days of just like running into random basketball players. It's so quick, fifteen minute press conference, 
30 minute breakouts if you get the 30 minutes like we didn't for Miami because North Carolina ran long and that's it that is the availability for us as like quote unquote print media is what I go as to these things then there's a radio row interviews there's all the TV hits they'll do for all the various ESPN properties but it is it is that quick you see you especially since most people are there to cover one team like I was there to watch to to talk about Miami and to to be with Miami so you know you saw both of those and then and then that's that so it was 8 to 8:45 yesterday and then 12 to 12:45 today and and that was that but shout out to but, but shout out to also to Megan Barnes who has to uh you know pick up the slack for doing men's and women's now and did a great job shepherding him in there I will say a lot of the teams and players and stuff showed up late to things. Um, she she kept ours right on time. There was no issues there. So kudos to her. Um, and yeah, that is that is it. That is our buckets coverage of uh, the ACC tip off. The only Miami based media to cover it. Um, again, uh, there's there's several things in the podcast feed. My wrap up from yesterday. Interviews with Julia and J- Jasmine yesterday. Interviews with Norchad and Nigel today, as well as my press conference questions to Coach L nor Chad and Nigel, and um, yeah, check out the video there. You'll see your boy on, on camera on ACC Network. Um, with that said, this is Vishnu sign off for Buckets. Definitely tomorrow, or I get, by the time this goes out, it might be Thursday, but Thursday at 7 p.m., Buckets. We're going to talk about this ACC Commissioner's comments, talk about the trajectory of the team, and, and you know, both teams, actually, because um, I think they're both confident in in um you know having a better season than last season which is you know amazing for them um and uh yeah i do have a chick-fil-a and popeyes update from the women's basketball team so we'll go through that as well for a long time listen to the show you know that's the important business but anyway uh tune into buckets um 7 p.m thursday uh miami and virginia football this weekend we will have pre and i think we're gonna have pre and post game Stay tuned to the podcast feed. Everything shows up here, so you don't got to hunt for it. Um, and then, yeah, next week uh, we'll have the Hoops season preview for men and women, and then the season starts the week after that. We're also in the throes of the football season after Virginia's NC State, and that's Florida State week. A lot of great content. The only way you got this was by being on the feed, but you definitely want to subscribe. Um, but, again, buckets tomorrow. Six Ring Canes Monday at 8.30, and then probably some weekend coverage of Virginia and Miami football. But... Uh, thanks everyone for uh, sticking with me through this uh, basketball uh, journey over the last couple of days and uh, season's a week and a half and away a week and a half away so let's uh, you know rest up now because it's about to get really chaotic um, and uh, I think it's gonna be a great season for both the men and the women. But with that said, this is Vish uh, signing off from DC having just returned from Charlotte. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.